Right, I discovered this week, no, last week, possibly the week before, there was something called queer coding, right? Which is where... I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but authors or people who, well, make things would make someone quite gay, intentionally or unintentionally. So an example would be the second Nightmare on Elm Street, which is like regarded as one of the gayest horror movies ever made. And the guy who played the main character in it, Jesse, he came out as gay later on. And then the writer had said, oh, I didn't know there was a subtext to that. But like, oh, the director was like, I didn't know there was a subtext to this. Like, I didn't know it was a, like, quite a gay movie. And there's a scene in a gay club, and then afterwards the coach makes him like run laps while the coach is dressed in leather, and then the coach dies by getting his ass whipped to death and that. But I say that because so I came, I, I discovered this. Uh, I was talking to someone, and I discovered this concept of queer coding, and the first thing I thought of was an interview with a vampire. Have you seen it? With mm. Tom Cruise and Kirsten Dunst, like I think I've Cruise? seen bits. Oh, is it Tom Cruise? I can't remember it properly though. But I so right. Um, let let me find out who it is. Right, interview with a vampire, and I always thought, yeah, is it is that Tom Cruise? We've watched so many films. Yeah, it is, it is Tom Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst, right? And I always thought as a kid that like oh. They're just like really good friends, like the two guys in it. Like I read the book before I saw the film when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, those those two vampires, like they're really good friends. It's kind of odd how they argue like that sometimes, though. It's more like man and wife. Like, oh well, you know, it must just be really good friends who argue sometimes. And then I discovered this term queer coding, and I was like, that is the gayest shit I've ever seen in my life. Is those two vampires? It's just so yeah. Um, is there anything that you can think of? That as a kid you were like, oh, they're just friends. And then looking at back now, you're like, oh, no, no, they're just really gay, but you couldn't really say it. Um, that guy off Art Attack and the statue. Yeah? Yeah. What was it called? Was it called Neil? I don't know, but there was a statue that spoke. So the guy off Art Attack, Neil Buchanan. Yeah. And the head. Yeah. They were, you always thought they were gay together that well was... now i do i thought it was unusual at the time i was yeah. like mm, a bit over the top huh okay fair enough but surprisingly philip schofield never thought he was gay i just thought he was an effem- effeminate man like my granddad just like yeah huh. was expressive i didn't think of him as gay expressive though yeah it's weird though because like you start looking at all this stuff and and anyway hello welcome to the podcast today we're going to talk about werewolves and vampires but hang on a second you you start looking at this stuff and you're like because it it all stemmed from a conversation about sam and frodo there's a lot of people who think that they're gay now i i heavily disagree with that and i heavily disagree with it because frodo's gay definitely well yeah probably but it takes away that you can just have really good friends like, why does there have to be more to it? You know, like, why why can you not just... As a man who loves his friends dearly... But Legolas and Gimli, I don't think they're very gay. But they are most likely to be gay together. They're the most... Li- I think of every... No. Every, I think, well, no, that's in, just because of that fan fiction that you read. No. 
it's not. And you can't get it out of your head because as soon as I thought of their friendship, I was like, oh, but they did that, didn't they? And they didn't actually do what... No, right. They didn't plait each other's hair in that. They, right, okay, but this is... You remember a lot about that story. Because <laughs> it was interesting. It was like gossip. But I think... so. It was said somewhere that Legolas and Gimli, Gimli was toned down for the films. But like they're they're like um, in the books and that they're, they're well, it's bromance. Exactly. Well, that was my point about Sam and Frodo. Is that like it, you don't have to be gay, right? Just to to love your friends. And then there was the point of uh, called like reader response theory, where it's like, well, it's more about how your how what your interpretation of the words are. And I, I still I still don't agree. That is it Frodo because you've got gay. a big bromance, you and John or and. Well, I love him very much, and I get upset when we don't speak, and I... And you brush hands with him yeah, accidentally I, all the time. I do, and then when I, I don't speak to him for a few days, I do say to you that, like, I'm getting quite fed up that yeah, he hasn't spoken to me. getting the big sad. So, yeah, there's a very fine line between being bros and being ho, being ho bros, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was a bit of a nonsense <laughs> one. Uh, it's October. It's spooky. It's spooky, 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 month. spooky skeletons. Yeah, I'm just gonna turn you down a little bit because um, that you just caught like you just spluttered in the microphone, nearly blew my fucking eardrums out. I think I've turned myself down actually. <laughs> There's me not knowing how to use my equipment. I turned myself down. Where am I? Can you speak so I know? Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hello, Hamora. Oh shit! I was turning myself down. Right, levels sorted. Right, it's October. It's spooky. The nuts have fallen off the tree. The nuts have fallen off the tree. We have been collecting them with our daughter. How have you been? We're, we're going to cover spooky shit this month, so let's get the good stuff out of the way first. How have you been? Um, um, um. I've fucking warned you about this before we started. <laughs> I am fine, I think. Yeah. I am working on myself. It's a good way to say you're unemployed. <laughs> I'm unemployed. <laughs> By my own choice. Yeah, exactly. Out Good. of valuing my and respecting myself. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been telling you for months. Like, you, you don't stay somewhere that doesn't doesn't value you. And my that, goodwill that has run out, so I've left, um, mm. and I've got a few interviews mm. lined up. So that's exciting. One of which is at a mortuary, which yeah. is pretty cool. So pretty fingers crossed, because I've always, always wanted to work um within a funeral home mm. um not for spooky reasons is it because you like flowers i just i just think it's a lovely thing to do to yeah. take care of families in these times because death is inevitable everyone is going to die it's the most sure thing in life mm. and we're very open we talk about death all of the time yeah yeah absolutely um, so yeah, I'm excited, but just kind of trying to keep myself occupied and revving up. And my course has started again, mm. so I've got uni to do. So very exciting. What about you? Yeah, good. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to go into as much detail as that. I'm trying not to earn. We That's went- why I've gone into so much <laughs> detail, because I'm trying not to earn. <laughs> we went to Comic-Con on Saturday in Edinburgh. Oh, it was beautiful. If anybody's listening who saw me wandering around with our, well, we, we were all me and Becca were wandering around with our t-shirts on, uh, with our the logo on. It was black. Now this annoyed me though. Being a, a fairly extroverted person, or 
being a fairly confident, charismatic person, if I do say so myself, and wearing a black t-shirt at a convention, the amount of people who thought I worked there was fucking ridiculous. I went to get a picture with Andy Circus, and as we were queuing up, they put us into three queues. There was Andy, Andy and Elijah, and just Elijah, right? And I was saying, hey, are you just for Andy Circus? And I was trying to find my way at the back of the queue because it was all just a mess. But it must have been the way I was asking people that people then started showing me their tickets and asking if they were in the right place and when I could expect to get their photo done. And I was like, I don't fucking work here. I'm trying to find the back of the queue. I'm trying to get a photo myself. But that didn't deter people who kept who kept saying, well, what about diamond passes? I was like, I don't fucking know, man. It's not what to do with me. There was a lot of queues. But luckily, me and the child didn't get involved in any of the queues. So that was good. Apart from one queue that was for a cup of tea. <laughs> and once I'd queued and got to the front, uh, the woman said, oh, it's cash only. Mm. And that was the first time I found out it was cash only. And I was like, why would I stand with a toddler in a queue if I didn't like if I didn't know that I'm not just going to stand in a queue for shits and giggles yeah but yeah anyway uh, this is it's been going on too long so Comic Con was great got a picture with Andy Circus. met lots of nice people met two amazing costumes of Thorin and Dwalin which was class the Thorin guy was very in character because he, he was like a very standoffish prick I loved all the Star Wars stuff that was a joke by the way he was very nice yeah, all the Star Wars stuff was I'm good. I'm a Star Wars nerd. There was a woman dressed like really cool. She mm. was like part of, I would say, the newer Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's what we've been up to. Now, let's get into today because the uh, just up top, right, we're going to cover werewolves and vampires from the Tolkien point of view. If I was talking about werewolves and vampires from a real world inspiration, we'd still be sat here come next October. There's a lot in it. it there is a lot in this so we're going to cover werewolves and vampires as part of our spooky october and then we'll get back to normal in november but yeah so werewolves and vampires together because there's not a great deal about them in the law but we just can you give us a, an overview what's a werewolf what's a vampire what are some famous examples in real world a werewolf is a shapeshifter between man and wolf mm. usually happens on a full moon mm-hmm. and they always seem to have backup clothes somewhere I've thought that really about, exciting yeah. um, famous examples are Jacob yep who was the guy off there used to be a CBBC program which had um what was he called? Forgot the name now. I don't know. Just, just cut this bit out. No, no, I'll leave it in. Live with your mistakes. No. <laughs> Who else? Can you think of anybody else? I'm really bad at this. Mm. Why can't I remember any werewolves? To be fair, right? There's, there's Teen not. Teen werewolf. Yeah, there's not a great deal of like, like you'll know werewolves, or you'll you can talk about werewolf. They're not films. usually the predominant character no i think it might be because they're pack animals not one stands out <laughs> vampires are much more singular um vampires are living dead yeah. and they sustain themselves by drinking blood of humans mm. famous ones are edward cullen yeah 
Dracula. He came second, did he? Well, I had to use Edward Cullen because I'd used Jacob as an example of werewolves. I was trying to use him first because of that. But Dracula is the biggest example and the best example. Mm. And we live quite close to Whitby. Yes, we do. Where Dracula apparently... um, Washed up, yeah. Washed up upon the coast and walked up to the Abbey. Mm. So, um, yeah. All right, well... More I, examples of vampires. No, but well, I'm, I'm sure there are. I don't want to burst your bubble too much, though, but Tolkien's Vampires and Werewolves, almost nothing like these. Remus Lupin. Ah, yeah. Why did not think of him yeah. as a werewolf? You shitter. Aye. Well, do you know what's really fucking annoying? I googled... Uh, I couldn't think of the name of the Hellhound from Norse mythology. I knew Fenrir... Was obviously the great wolf that that like bites off Tia's arm and uh, hand and what have you, and I was looking for the name of the other one, which was Gorma, and I couldn't find the name, so I typed in Fenrir or the wolf, and the first result that came up was Fenrir Greyback from Harry Potter. I was like, I people have ruined the fucking internet. Yeah, this is bullshit. I've just seen Fenrir. Oh right, werewolves and vampires in Tolkien. They really only show up. In the tale of Beren and Luthien, you know. And Luthien, of course, being the daughter of Thingol, the king of Doriath, and Melian, the Maiar, who yeah. was queen of Doriath. Beren being the, you know, uh, Beren being the, the mortal man who marries Luthien. They go on an adventure. I made a meme the other week about breaking into hell and stealing from him just so you could marry a, someone's daughter. But yeah, werewolves and vampires primarily encountered in the tale of Beren and Luthien. They are mentioned elsewhere. So one of Sauron's titles is like Lord of the Werewolves, and, and we'll get into that as well. But there's also the, do you know the Wags from the films? Yeah. They may be descended or related to werewolves and we'll, we'll come on to that in the Third Age, but as you can imagine, it much kind of much of it fits with that motif of a world in decline. So let, let's start with the first one. And this is quite nice because it made me think it looked a lot better than it did. But the first werewolf was called Draugluin. And he is the father of all werewolves. And his name means blue wolf in Sindarin due to the colour of his fur. Which I thought was pretty cool. And then I realised it's probably like that super deep, deep, deep blue that's almost yeah. black. It's like petrol. Yes, exactly. Yes. And he is described in the Silmarillion as the sire of all werewolves and I'll read a short little passage for you here a dread beast old in evil lord and sire of the werewolves of Angband his might was great and that, the good thing is about this episode is a lot of the descriptions are so short we can fit them in so that that's like that that's that's the first werewolf and allegedly he was made by Sauron and it said that Sauron imprisoned an evil spirit within the shape of a great wolf. So Sauron would breed the great wolves, then imprison a spirit in them. And that's what makes them the werewolf, is having that evil spirit within them that gives them the intelligence. Ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it's possible that this spirit might have been a fallen Maya that was corrupted. And we got in, I got into this discussion the other day with some people where... In the cosmology, right, you are aware of the Ainur, which is the Valar and the Maiar, 
but other spirits are referred to such as the spirits that would inhabit what would become the ents and give them like intelligence and what have you but it's not quite clear what they are it's it, it they, they, they might not be qualified to be maya but they are still spirits there so if i think if we could ask tolkien a question it'd be like if you have the valar you have the maya is there anything underneath that of like lesser spirits that you'd want to talk about because there's some that kind of fit into that that you can't quite rightly call Maya and I think the spirits that go into werewolves might be of that type that makes sense? yeah yeah and I, again I've just mentioned that like so the evil spirit inhabiting a body and then being able to reproduce and create more of it it kind of comes do you remember our orc episode? which is like over 20 episodes ago now our orc episode was our 8th episode and we're now on our 29th. Blooming I know, but yeah, our Orc episode. So we talked about something like there was a theory that corrupted Maya would take the shape of like big orcs or trolls and breed with corrupted elves and humans to make more orcs. So I thought, is there something kind of like in that? Interestingly enough, we do have like a birthplace for werewolves, like the, the main kind of birthplace. And it's a. Uh, a tower or an island called well it's an island duh. it's called Tol in Gauroth which is the Isle of Werewolves but makes sense yeah I know right call it like you see it Tol in Gauroth began life as a watchtower called Minas Tirith which sounds familiar mm. right yeah not the same place but is you know that's where Minas Tirith gets its name from ah and this Minas Tirith that we're talking about in the First Age in Beleriand was built by Finrod Felagund, who was a great elf king. And I think Felagund is the first elf to discover humans. And he, he sings for them and he teaches them loads of stuff. And it's just... Meant, well, he's the first one to discover elves, uh, humans in Beleriand. Arguably, the Nandor elves that we've discussed before helped humans along earlier than that. And he... Uh, so he had this watchtower built called Minas Tirith to guard the Vale of Sirion and because he was a king and it was part of his kingdom and he entrusted it to one of his kin Oridreth, I think it might be his uncle or his nephew I, I don't know, anyway, I'd have to look it up Who? but then Oridreth when Sauron rocked up with his, like, his, his armies Oridreth couldn't hold the tower so he fled and Sauron just moved in and turned it to shit, as usual as is Sauron's want well, he doesn't. The thing is, he doesn't take along cleaners or anything with him. No, he doesn't. So, <laughs> do you know it's so topical? You've mentioned that because I downloaded a demo earlier because there's a something on called the Steam Next Fest or something where you get loads of game demos to see what's coming out. And one I thought you might like is called Crime Scene Cleaner. Oh yes. But you work for the mafia, so you go and clean up their crime scenes before the police get there. And um, mm. yeah, it looks pretty cool. So yeah, uh, Sauron didn't have any crime scene cleaners, unfortunately. Oh well. Uh, but yeah, so this is where Sauron, when he took over and began to breed great and terrible wolves, and once he'd bred the great and terrible wolves, he trapped evil spirits in them. Do they ever manage to make the way off the island? Because wolves don't swim. <laughs> there was a bridge. Um, dogs can swim. Our dog swims all the time. Yeah, but surely wolves. I think they could. Mm, I suppose, are they always wolves? Yes, they okay. don't shapeshift. They are just great and terrible. Because shapeshifters are their own thing. Like They're yeah. called like skin changes, like Bayon. Yeah. 
But so of all these werewolves, Draugluin was the first of them. And we haven't covered them yet, but we we you'll you'll have seen these names crop up time and time again. But in the tale of Beren and Luthien, Draugluin stayed with Sauron in Tolingauroth. So I think he existed before that. But it's that was their great breeding place because he helped Sauron conquer the Isle. And he stayed there to guard it. He was like, he was, you know, this uh, is mine. Yeah, exactly. He's pissed. He pissed on the, yeah, pissed on the door mantle. <laughs> it was like mine. <laughs> um, so Beren, at one point in the tale of Beren and Luthien, had been captured along with Finrod Felagund, the guy who built it, and he got imprisoned within the tower he he had built. And they got there was there was twelve of them. So there was Finrod, there was Beren, and there was ten elves, right, who would help Beren. Yeah. And they got imprisoned in the bottom of Tol Ungaroth, in the pits in the dungeon. And it's described that there was werewolves in the pits, and the werewolves would pick them off one by one. So all they'd see is like glowing red eyes in the dark, and one of them would be taken. And at last, it's only Finrod and Beren left. And Finrod uses the last of his strength to break free of his chains and wrestle with the werewolf but he dies in the process but allows Beren to survive wouldn't you think if he's like if you're going to build something you know the ins and outs of it and you would kind of put secret passages in in case you got trapped in it well Sauron's you remember Sauron is a servant of Auli so Sauron would have made modifications I'd imagine It, it doesn't seem very it doesn't so seem... he, he doesn't hire a cleaner, but he, he well, makes adjustments to it. it. It just doesn't seem very noble and elf-like to have pits in your dungeon. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That doesn't that doesn't quite ring but true. But they clearly do have dungeons or somewhere. They've got cells, yeah. They, would, yeah. they would have cells, but I don't think they'd be pits full of werewolves. That doesn't seem very elfish. don't know. That might be the, First, the top security top device. Flight, <laughs> top flight security of the world, Craig. Yeah, first age elves were much more vicious, but that, they, they weren't like out. Well, some of them arguably were out and out evil, but I don't think Finrod Felagund would have done this. He was the good. He was the goodest of guys. There was Finrod and there was Fingolfin, two of the goodest lads you could imagine. So yeah, um, Finrod fights a werewolf with his bare hands, which is an amazing feat of strength, which allows Baron to survive. Right, and at the same time. Luthien had found where Beren was and so she stood on the bridge to Tol in Gauroth and she sang as loudly as she could and this gave heart to Beren when he could hear her so he sang back as well and Sauron was at the top of the tower and he heard her sing and he smiled to himself because he wanted he knew it was the daughter of Melian and Morgoth desired her in for lack of a better term a very it was very rapey way like it's the literal devil. Like so, you want he, he has fantasies of like cr- yeah, crushing I, her. Like yeah. he's 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 fucking horrible about it. So Sauron was like, I will get such a reward if I take her to him. So one by one, he sends his werewolves out. But what Sauron doesn't know is that with them is the Hound of the Valar, Huan, who is the best dog. You saw a picture of him earlier, and you said, "Oh, that's cute." Huan. The Hound of the Valar is one of the best characters in the entire Silmarillion. He's just fucking mint. So, one by one, Luthien's on the bridge, the werewolves come out, and Huan ambushes them. He grabs them by the throat, tears the throat out and kills them. And eventually, old Draugluin himself is forced to come out. 
and Draugluin and Huan fight, and eventually Draugluin is injured, mortally injured. So he limps his way back to Sauron, and just before he dies, he tells Sauron that Huan was there. And your logical question might be, why Sauron bothered about a dog? That would be my question, right? Well, it turns so it turns out that Huan is a bit of a special boy. He's got a prophecy about him that everybody in Beleriand seems to know about, like all the Maya and that they all seem to know about him. And his fate is well known. And Huan is being given special powers by the Valar. And his special powers are that he can speak only three times in his life, but he can speak the language of humans or, or men or mortals or whatever, or elves. And he's immortal to anything except being killed by the greatest wolf that ever lived. Now, Sauron is a shapeshifter, right? So you remember earlier I said one of his titles is a Lord of Werewolves? Yeah. So, Sauron thinks to himself... Must be me. Gotta be me. It's gotta be me. So he has his Justin Timberlake moment, right? And he says, it's gotta be me. And he transforms... Because Sauron's a shapeshifter. He's well known as a shapeshifter. He loses that ability by the Third Age. After the downfall of Numenor, at the end of the Second Age, Sauron loses his ability to shapeshift but now he's in his prime he can transform into fucking all sorts and he does and one of the things he takes on is a great and terrible wolf and so thinking that it's his you know he could, he's the one who can kill Huan he takes on this form and he goes out to meet him and he is very wrong he is, he is not the greatest wolf to ever live but he is so terrifying at that point that Huan jumps aside like even Huan's like nah I don't want any of this until Sauron go in a werewolf form, a great and terrible wolf, like a wolf the size of a fucking elephant, right? Goes for Luthien. And at that point, Huan, being the goodest boy, he's like, no, I'll protect her. And he fights with Sauron. And Sauron ends up getting his ass whooped, which is just perfect, right? So Huan gets Sauron in wolf form, he gets Sauron in his jaws and he won't let go he's he biting him and he won't let go and Sauron flicks through all the different forms that he can this sounds like the Warner Brothers studios could really sort of get their teeth into this exactly, yeah, fucking right oh. you know when um, the t- yeah, just this part of the tale of Baron and Luthien yeah, you know when the um, Dark Wizards in Harry Potter, they travel so fast that they're like so, like smoke. Yeah, do you know what? I kind or, of weirdly enough, I imagine something similar to that. Yeah. Or um, what's the female character called where she can change like a face shape? Oh, Tonks. Yeah. Tonks, like that sort of like changing. Mm. That's the vibes I'm getting. So it, it's pretty much that. Yeah, like he goes through all the different forms, like monstrous forms, his own form, uh, everything. But Huan won't go. So Luthien says to him, and she's really badass, she says, like, yield the tower to me, or I'll strip you of the raiment of your flesh and send you back to Morgoth as a ghost. And then if you've got to go back to him as a ghost, he will scorn you forever. So, and that's just amazing that, like, Luthien, the daughter of Melian and Thingol, threatens Sauron and wins. So Sauron, he gives up control of the island. It goes back to being a, like an elf-held fortress, and he flees, and he takes on the form of a vampire, a great vampire, 
and I won't read out the description yet because we've got a vampire bit coming up. But Sauron, this is one of the first times, I think it's either the first, there's only two times vampires are mentioned. This is one of them. Sauron turns into a giant vampire creature and goes away to Tarnufuin, which is a, a forest that, surprise, surprise, he fucking fills with horrible things, just like Mirkwood. And that, so, yeah, um, so that is... I like his confidence, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. if he didn't appear in front of Luthien in Huan, is Hu- it? Huan, yeah, yeah. H-U-A-N. With so much confidence and kind of grrr, mm. um, they wouldn't, who all wouldn't have stood back and been like, eh. He wouldn't have thought of him as a threat. Yeah, oh no. Oh yeah, true. Oh yeah, true. So he goes in Ooh, full steam yeah. ahead, mm. thinking he's the big bollocks when actually he isn't, but because he's given that air about him. Mm. Oh, that's good, yeah. So, yeah, so the island goes back to being elf, like elf controlled. Unfortunately, Morgoth then takes back control after the Neoniath Anoidiad, which is the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, or it's just called Unnumbered Tears, actually, which is a very sad part of um, the First Age where a lot, a lot of shit goes down, which is, it, yeah, it's too big to go into. It's a fucking huge battle that reaches it's a very far reaching event but if Sauron wasn't the greatest and most terrible terrible of all werewolves then who was and I want to introduce you to the name Karkaroth and he enters into the tale of Beren and Luthien and is the, he is the greatest werewolf to ever live he swallows a Silmaril and Beren's hand along with it but the duel burns him and causes him agony, which turns him into the most terrifying and powerful thing in Beleriand at that time. He's described as like a destroying fire, and everybody flees from him. And you wouldn't like to poop that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Karkaroth is strong enough to break through the girdle of Melian. Do you know that enchantment around the woods of Doriath that doesn't let any evil pass it? Ah, yeah. Yeah, nah, too legit to quit. He breaks through like in, in his um, agony. And he was chosen by Morgoth himself to be raised by Morgoth in answer to Huan, the Hound of Alnor. So when I said everybody knew Huan's prophecy, Morgoth knew it as well. So he chose a whelp and raised him himself. And I'm going to read out the most goth passage in, uh, in in my opinion in the Silmarillion and it said that Ari Morgoth he fed him with his own hand upon living flesh and put his power upon him swiftly the wolf grew until he could creep into no den but lay huge and hungry before the feet of Morgoth there the fire and anguish of hell entered into him and he became filled with a devouring spirit, tormented, terrible, and strong. Karkaroth, the Red Maw, he is named in the tales of those days, and Anfauglia, the Jaws of Thirst. And Morgoth set him to lie unsleeping before the doors of Angband, lest Huan come. 
And is that just not goth as fuck? Yeah, I like it. Big dog outside my house. But it's just that, that sp- the spirit of hell entered him. Hellhound. Sorry, the fire and anguish of hell entered into him. Exactly. So you said hellhound there, right? That was my first thought. And, and this, it, 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 indisputable, right? Some people say he's only talking about Fenrir because he, he bites off Beren's hand and what have you, just like Ber- uh, Fenrir does with Tyr. But there's also Cerberus, the hound that guards Hades. There's Fenrir, obviously. There's Skull and Hattie. And then there's Gamma, who is the Norse hellhound. And I think Karkaroth is just all of these rolled into one. Yeah. Like all of these like demonic dogs, essentially. Well, Skull and Hattie aren't super duper demonic. Especially if like Morgoth kind of leeches into his surroundings. If he's that close, the dog's that close to him. Yes. Then he's gonna leech into the dog. That's fucking not the min- dog. Yeah, well, no, that, the wolf. yeah, that's right. You said I could shag you. That's fucking. Christopher. <laughs> that's fucking mint that you said that though. Yes, yes, you, you're hundred percent right. And it says like you put your spirit into him, and, and that is as well because I, I, there's a certain point where I think there's a passage where it's like, oh no, it's with one of the dragons where they also say that Morgoth puts his power into them. And it's like a spark of his malice and his hatred is within the creature itself, and and Morgoth is known to do that. He does. He divests his power into the like into the physical look world. Like their dogs. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So so when Karkaroth he bites off Baron's hand, like I mentioned, uh, he's driven mad and runs wild through Beleriand, and servants of Morgoth run from him. Nobody wants to be near him. And it, it's said that of everything in the world before the War of Wrath when Angban falls, of everything in the world, Karkaroth was the worst thing up until the War of Wrath. That's how terrifying he was. He was the most terrible. I feel like he's misunderstood. <laughs> he's intelligent, so he's not just a wild animal. Like he is he's but he's he's malice and dread himself, like um so he makes his way to Doriath, breaks with the girdle of Melian and Thingol and Beren and and some others they hunt the dog and uh, sorry, they hunt the wolf and Huan goes with them and he and Huan eventually fight and kill each other but not before Karkaroth kills Beren by biting him in the chest and he dies of his wound shortly after but don't worry though he doesn't Beren doesn't stay dead that's not really the oh, end of his phew. story it's um that one do you know that playlist you listen to go to sleep there's yeah. one song in that it's called like the lament of Luthien or something like that and that's someone's take of her singing before Mandos, who is the Valar, who, who keeps the spirits, right? Until mm-hmm. they're ready to move on. So Beren, I think, is one of the only mortal men to ever have been resurrected or not allowed to pass beyond the circles of the world. And, and uh, again, it's it's its whole story, but Luthien was half-elf, half-Maya, but she chose to be human after this yeah. so that her and Beren could live together for a long for, for some years together longer and then they both pass out of the world and Luthien is Arwen Arwen's ancestor yeah and so that's when Aragorn first meets her in the woods he, he says Tenuviel Tenuviel because he thinks he's running into a vision of Luthien again but again that's that's besides the point we're, we're goth at the moment we're not talking about romance we'll do Beren and Luthien for Valentine's Day <laughs> <laughs> So those are three of the most notable werewolves if you count Sauron. Evil and terrible and gothic and cruel, right? That's four words we can describe them. Yeah. 
and like most other things, their heyday is in the it's in the first age, right? But it is important to note that in the book, Gandalf mentions that werewolves are Sauron servants in the third age, so they must still be kicking about somewhere. Just not as prolific. Yeah, exactly, and they just they don't appear in the War of the Ring. Um, there's also the and then like we go to the third age and we have a look right and and say like well who's still kicking about? So there's all there's the wolves from the Hobbit. They might be descended from werewolves because they can speak. They've got their own language and they work together with the orcs in the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah. And then there's also the wargs who are demonic wolves. So it's it's kind of suggested that wargs are inhabited by evil spirits as well, but of less stature than werewolves so again yeah I could kind of buy it by the third age everything's like dying off and what have you so yeah if wags are just lesser werewolves then yeah I could I could see that instead of being the size imagine if werewolves are still around the third age and instead of oliphants at the battle of Pelennor Fields you get werewolves the size of oliphants that'd be pretty fucking sounds mint that'd be terrifying I think Grond um, do you know the ram, the battering Run. ram? I think that's. Run. I think that might be. Run. Yeah, I think that might be in like a likeness of Karkaroth, because it's got the fire in its jaws and that, like the red maw. Yeah. But uh, again, I, I can't see. I can't speak to that because I'd have to go and look it up. But yeah, that that's it. They had their own language. They were intelligent, and and that's where we. But that that's pretty much all we can say about werewolves. It's not a great deal of information, which is a shame, but also kind of. You can't explain everything, and maybe some things are best left unstuck because I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's not Tolkien's jam. Yeah, maybe he just thought like, oh, I can't fucking, I couldn't ever compete with Stoke, Bram Stoker, or like I'm not. Or he's like, I'm not telling a story about vampires and werewolves. Like <laughs> they've got no space in my, they've got no place in my story. Yeah, he's got enough characters to deal with. Really. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about vampires for a little bit because uh, we're coming towards the end there's not a great deal to say about vampires from the point of view of Tolkien and we've got a couple of descriptions and the first is Sauron when he is fleeing do you know after he gets beaten by Luthien and Huan yeah and he is described as as great as a dark cloud across the moon and he fled dripping blood from his throat upon the trees and came for Ta Nufuin and dwelt there, filling it with horror. And apart from Sauron, there's one more vampire, and she is called Thuringwethil, and she is Sauron's messenger. And she's ki- she is killed at some point. It's entirely it's not entirely sure how she's killed, but it's probably Huan, because Luthien. So Beren and Luthien, Draugluin and Thuringwethil, Luthien and Baron dress up as them to get into Angband. So using some magic, they take the pelt of Dragluin and dress Baron up as him so he becomes like a wolf, but he's just got different eyes. Yeah. And then um, they the make Luthien look like the, the great vampire to get into Angband to like get in front of Morgoth. Mm-hmm. But that description that we have of her, it makes her sound more like a, a hideous bat creature than like, you know, beautiful Edward Cullen or like sexy Tom Cruise. You know, Stefan Salvatore, he was at. Um, oh, was he at Comic Con? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got a, a description here of Thuringwethil of. She was the messenger of Sauron, and was wont to fly in vampire's form to Angband, and her great fingered wings were barbed at each joint's end with an iron claw. But, 
I did find a little bit of verse, which sounds a little bit better, I think. So this is from the, the tale of, of Baron and Luthien, where it's put down as a poem. The other was a bat-like garb, with mighty-fingered wings a barb. Like iron nail at each joint's end, such wings as their dark cloud extend. Against the moon, when in the sky, from deadly nightshade screeching fly. It's that just, sounds very I, romantic. I think it sounds better. And interestingly, uh, I'm going to trigger everyone here and remind you of your English teacher. The line where she's saying deadly nightshade is actually referring to Tarnafuin, which when you translate it from Sindarin, it's, it is like, it's like forest in the night or nightshade. So I, it's not clear whether Tarnafuin is... Ooh, co- you philologist. Yeah, it's not clear. What, <laughs> did you not talk him as a philologist? <laughs> it's not clear whether Tarnafuin was already a haunted forest and then Sauron rocked up or it was just a normal forest with a bit more dark trees than usual and he fucked it up. But I'd like to believe the latter because he has a track record of wrecking forests. Yeah. Well, three if you count the, the forest that used to be Fangorn that spread all across Eriador, but he deforested it in the Second Age. So there's no reason behind him going from shapeshifting into a werewolf then into a vampire as he nah, just, disappears. It, nah, he just, he just takes on different forms as he, as he wants. It's just weird. And interesting that it's a vampire when his his what is a vampire? His messenger. Messenger is maybe a vampire. Was, yeah, maybe it was his lover. Mm. He's taken inspiration from her. There was there is speculation that Thuringwethil might be a Maya herself because she because there's not many other mentions of vampires. It might just be a form that she takes on, or she might be a skin changer, you know, like Bayon. We we just we don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming vampires in Tolkien's universe are just bat-like creatures. Yeah, yeah. That, well, yeah we, I, There's no I, blood sucking. I don't know. We don't know because that those are the only... Everything I've said there, that's the only descriptions we get of vampires. That's mm-hmm. all we get. But uh, I thought you might be interested in this last bit of vampires. Is that our version of super suave, sophisticated, sexy vampires appear to originate from a story from 1819 called The Vampire, spelled with a Y, and was written by John Polidori. And then after that, there's another famous vampire story we can look at called Carmilla from Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. And that was in like 1872, I think, something like that. And then after that, we get Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is the most popular, but was actually released after these other two. So Bram Stoker's Dracula was until 1897, but these other two, with that concept of a like a sexy, sophisticated, suave vampire, was, well, it was predated by two other books, which is pretty interesting. Should we have a look at a bit of language, just to finish us off? Just a bit of philology. Go on, then. So, I thought I was getting away with Ah, you bollocks. So, <laughs> the Sindarin word for werewolf is Gar, Gower, as, as obviously Tol and Gauroth. The Quenyan name is Nauro, and then that's for werewolf. And then for wolf, the Quenyan name is Namo. And there are similar words in other elf languages, such as, such as Doriathrin, which is Garm, and Noldorin, which was Garaf. Then we look at the word warg, and in Old Norse, that comes from varg, 
And in Old English, it comes from Weag, which means an outlaw. But funnily enough, right, I discovered this today, and you can see it's on my picture there on my monitor of my background. Yeah. Is that the Balrog? Yeah. Balrogs and Wags share the same origin in a name. So there is an Old English word called Bealuag, Belawag, which is Bealu, which is where we get the word baleful from, do you know what I mean, like evil? Yeah. And then Weag, meaning outlaw, so evil outlaw. That was spooky. Um, evil outlaw. And Tolkien got that word, just split it up into two, made two creatures. A Balrog and a Wag. Clever. Oh. And then I just mentioned a language called Doriathrin, which I found out today is that obviously is the language of Doriath, which is just Sindarin with some odd preservation of archaic terms. Um, and one is preferring one syllable words over two. So Sindarin will use two syllable words, whereas Doriathrin will use one. So uh, for Sindarin, the word for horror is Goroth. And in Doriathrin, the word is Goth. And then full disclosure for everyone, I found out that, that fantastic little tidbit and I was like, oh, why doesn't Doriathrin come up more? It might have become obsolete after the first age, partly because of the ruin of Doriath and partly because all the elves tended to just piss off and mix in together. Uh, so we look at the word werewolf, comes from the Old English werewolf, which means man-wolf. And it's a cognate or equal to Middle Dutch werewolf with the double E. The Middle Low German Wawulf and the West Frisian Warul. And they all come from the pre Germanic Wiro Wulpos or possible Wazi Wulfas, which means <laughs> which means wolf clothes. And then in Old Norse the term is Ulfhethna, which means wolf skinned, and Ulfhethin, which is wolf coat. And good luck for me, because I don't know how to pronounce this one. In Old Irish, the term is Lukthon, which is wolf skin. And in Sanskrit, you've got Vukajna, which is wolf skin. And then like, then you've got Lycanthrope, which comes from the ancient Greek, Lucanthropos, which means wolf human. And the only interesting tidbit that I picked out in, in my time researching this, because I'm not going to lie, people, this was a fucking slog. Just because of how big werewolf is, you've got to really pick and choose what you want to talk about in terms of the just in terms of the language. But you might remember with our Bayon episode, we talked about taboo defamation, you know, about yeah. how language changes. So in Old Norse, they suffered from taboo defamation as well. They used to have the the, the word for werewolf wasn't man wolf. Uh, sorry, it wasn't like wolf man. It was more wolf wolf whereas the second wolf was their turn for an outlaw like a varg so instead of calling a werewolf a, a wolf man or a man wolf they would call it a wolf wolf whereas the first wolf is an animal the second wolf is their term they're like their term for an outlaw an outlawed wolf yeah because like their, their, their varg means like wolf or outlaw so yeah it's just I, I don't think they wanted that connotation of calling a wolf man like you might be saying oh that that's an outlaw and they didn't want that for their mythical creatures for some reason 
Yeah. <laughs> Fuck knows. I, that, and for the first time in my life, I had to cut short the language section because I was like, there's just too much here. It's too, it's too crazy. Like, it, it is. Then we move on to vampires, a little bit of language about that. We've got Thurin Gwethil, which is split up into three parts, but the name means woman of secret shadow or she of hidden shadow. The name Sindarin and can be broken down as Thurin and Gwath. Thurin means secret or hidden and Gwath means shadow and then the ending of like eel is obscure but it possibly just makes it feminine so yeah that that nobody really knows and then I I wrote here fuck this because the real world origin of the word vampire is very long very complex Uh, I, I just I was not about it it was the same as werewolf uh, they've got complex and far-reaching histories and a Middle-earth podcast is not the place to get that. So, like, there will be tons of podcasts on vampires. In fact, I think there's one, like, Monster Fuzz, uh, two Irish lads who I listen to about, like, cryptozoology and that, and they, I think they've got, like, episodes about them. But the the first... In, uh, I just went for some, like, tidbits. And the first instance of English citing the word vampire was in 1732 in a news report about vampire epidemics in Eastern Europe where like people were being dug up and staked through the heart and beheaded and that and there was a little tidbit to say well actually it had already been discussed first in German and French literature but they didn't speak English so fuck them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, so interestingly enough right so the, the the word vampire first appeared in English in 1732 it took less than a hundred years to make it sexy and publish a book about it yeah. Us English people. Because that John Polidori, you know, he, 18, what was it, 1819, I think? Earlier in the episode? Uh, yeah, 1819, the vampire. So, 1732 to 1819, he was born, heard about vampires, was like, I want to fuck one. And started bish, writing. Bosh, bosh. <laughs> I want to do the monster mash. <laughs> Don't ruin the monster mash. Oh, but it's a graveyard bash. Right, that I think that's a good point to end it. So that's our first spooky episode of the season. I'm gonna end with a little one liner. Oh go on then. From pickupline.net. Yeah. I'm a vampire in the streets, but a real devil in the sheets. Oh <laughs> that's sexy. The only the only jokes I know about vampires are, are actually like just quite disgusting, so I don't really I think it's appropriate to talk about them on a podcast. You drive me batty. Oh, you're so bad. Right. I'm going to go. So have a, a good day, wherever you are. Have a have a good one. Good evening, good night, whenever you listen to this. Have a, a lovely spooky October. Or a cosy one if you're not into it. So goodbye from me, Chris. And goodbye from Rebecca. Bye.